This is RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. This is episode 48, the 2009 Year in Review. I'm Jonathan Mangus, coming to you from San Diego, California, and joining the show today is researcher and author of the upcoming book, From Hell, From Hole, From Hole in the UK, Mike Covell. Also joining the show today from London, England, is the author of the book E1, A Journey Through Whitechapel and Spitalfields, John Bennett. And from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, the author of the first Jack the Ripper victim photographs, Robert McLaughlin. Thanks, everybody, for being on the show today. This is the 2009 Year in Review show. I promise not to do another one of these shows after the first um, 2008 Year in Review show, but since uh, we had a UK conference and a lot of nonfiction and fiction books released this year, as well as some important discoveries and uh, quite a few uh, TV shows and documentaries, I thought it'd be good uh, for us to recap um, the year in Jack the Ripper studies. So uh, we'll start off with the conference that was held this past October in London, the Jack the Ripper conference. This is the first time it uh, was held in London. Has, had it ever been held in London before? No. no. Uh, both Robert McLaughlin and John Bennett were there. Maybe uh, one of you guys can give us a review of the Jack the Ripper conference. Who was there? Yeah, what did they talk about? Oof. You know, that, that type of stuff. Well, if, I can, if I can just give a, a very brief, I mean, obviously, if, if it goes on any further, I can say more, but it was, it was wonderful. Uh, it, was my fir- it was my person, it was my first conference. And uh, it was, you know, it was in London, working in that area anyway. And uh, it was a wonderful experience, I just have to say. Um, the, you know the vibe about it was good natured it was in you know everyone was interested everyone was pleased to see each other that the speakers were great all the speakers were great um and it was nice to meet people you'd never met before uh, robert was one of them i have to say and uh there was a very very i don't know if robert agrees with me but it was i came out of it on a high that conference i have to say it was um it was terrific. Yeah, I personally, uh, I, I personally didn't want it to end. I, you know, I thought no. yeah, yeah. it could have it could have ran a day longer. You know, it, you know, it, it feels like it's always going home too early. Mm. Uh, but just to give you a brief uh, rundown of uh, the events, Jonathan, because uh, you weren't there. Um, of course, everybody missed Jeremy Beadle because. Um, mm. uh, you know, of his death, and he, of course, hosted all of the previous uh, Jack the Ripper conferences, but uh, uh, there was a nice tribute to him, and, and Colin Cobb uh, did an excellent job as, as MC. I must admit. You yeah, know, he's, he was great. You know, he, he's, yeah, he's a funny guy, he's witty, he's articulate, and uh, he, he's, a, he's a great uh, guy. And um, As for the speakers, I, you know, I completely agree with John. Like, uh, I, I didn't really find a standout. I found all of them really fascinating. I mean, it kicked off with uh, Stuart Orme, who talked about Alice McKenzie, and uh, first off, I thought, well, we don't know anything about Alice McKenzie, you know, I mean, uh, other than the fact that she uh, came from Peterborough, I mean, you know, her boyfriend at the time, John McCormick, told us that, but uh, she's even more of an enigma than Mary Kelly, you know, I, so I, I didn't know what to expect to that from that, but that was a, an excellent talk of uh, a great overview of uh, the city of Peterborough and uh, places she... Uh, 
she would have known. And uh, he even brought up a few census reports, which uh, were quite interesting. And you know, then we moved on. We had we had Chris George. Uh, he was speaking uh, about the police activity from uh, Mary Kelly through to uh, Alice McKenzie, uh, which was quite an interesting. Uh, uh, view and and a good thing about Chris George is he's got this quiet sense of humor and every every now and then he'd throw in a joke and yeah, uh, yeah he had he a good joke about um, he also uh, when, ahead, when he did when he when he did reported speech he'd suddenly do a voice that wasn't his you know it was um, was it Henry Matthews or something like that it'd be just this completely bizarre voice which added yes added something to the, just the talk you know in a, in a nice way I have to say it was and. Uh, he even uh, uh, drank a pint to wet his whistle during his talk. Uh, he, he, I believe, was the only speaker that did that. Which, uh, good on him. And uh, and and my trow, like uh, fantastic uh, talk. Uh, uh, he he talked about the torso murders. Now he didn't really talk about uh, Robert Mann. And uh, he, you know, said what basically most of us have thought for a long time that the the torso murders uh, from that were concurrent with uh, the Ripper investigation. Uh, deserve an investigative book of their own. You know, something beyond our Michael Gordon's uh, take on it. And uh, that would be nice to see. And and I think uh, Trow, uh, he expected to be really grilled o- about man. You know, uh, he expected some really negative feedback. and But it, but he never really got it. I mean, nobody really attacked him, which, you know. The thing, the thing about mine was, I mean, I don't know if he's going to listen to this later on, but... Um I, I had obviously I was involved in the documentary with him, uh, da, 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 and spoke to him afterwards. And he was saying he was waiting for, he was ready for it, you know, at the conference. And I think because the way he put himself across as being, come on then, you know, I'm wearing my flak jacket and things like that, he didn't actually get flak for it, um, despite what people might have thought he would have done. But um, he was ready for it, and I'm, I'm sure he would have. And what, I think what he said at the conference was very like, pertinent, you know, to why he did the book and various things like that. But I think he sort of charmed the audience rather well. And uh, and his talk was, was very interesting as well, because that's something I personally don't know an awful lot about, the Torso murders. But, uh, yeah, that was a good one. It was a good one, and of uh, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, we had we had Philip uh, Hutchinson, you know, talking about uh, the Whit- uh, not the Whitby collection, pardon me, uh, the Dutfield's Yard photograph mm. um, yeah. from 1900, and um, I'd heard that talk in Knoxville last year, but uh, most people, of course, uh, hadn't seen it uh, in in England, and they quite looked forward to it, mm. and 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 of course, uh, you, you know, the next day Phil gave his walk, which. Uh, his special ripper walk and 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 that was actually fantastic i you know I, i'm glad i made that yeah and they, and he reproduced the Duckfield's yard photograph didn't he had everyone yeah, lined yeah. up in, yeah we all I stood mean, yeah 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 we all stood in Enrique street uh formerly burner street uh yeah. roughly uh, you know on the spot where uh the photograph was taken and yeah we all lined up on either side and and uh, we let everybody with a camera photograph and shoot away and yeah it was quite an interesting moment I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures on the board anyway if, if people have looked yeah it, it's also on the back page of, of Phil's new book he's got one photograph where they're all everyone standing in that line oh, I, oh, I didn't know they put it on the book cause, yeah because yeah, I'm the, still it's on the back the page of the, yeah, from the 2009 Ripper conference and there's all the people 
you'd recognise, obviously, standing in line in various places, and um, Phil's holding the photograph up, things like that. So, uh, um, Amazon is painfully slow in delivering my copy of Philip's Mine book. too. <laughs> um, but I have seen that photo that you're talking about, and it looked like Philip, did he enlarge the photo? Um, I mean, that's not the size of the original photo. Is it the one he's holding on the, looks like he's holding like a card, like, um, you know. Yeah, he no, enlarged he, it. Yeah, it's enlarged, uh, exactly. You know, he cleaned up the photo and enlarged it. Right. Now, um, it's, he, it's a small cat picture. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Um, he brought the original photo to Knoxville, did he not, Robert? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't there. Um, I don't remember if he brought, if he brought the original to Knoxville. Um, and, but you, you've, um, does he reproduce the original photograph in its actual size in his new book, John? Um, I think it's bigger. Um, I've seen the original. He handed it over to me one time, <laughs> and it, it's quite small. It's a, quite a small picture, and um, everything I've ever seen um, has been scans of it, and obviously Phillips, you know, uh, corrected, uh, damaged to it, and things like that. Um, but the original is quite small. And I think in the book, the book's about A5 size. If not, actually, I've got it in front of me now. Yeah, it's about A5 size, and it, it covers one page. So the actual photograph is... Oh, no, he, no, he does it over two pages. So, yeah, it's about double the size in the, in the book. Um, across two pages. Yeah, the, the new book, and we'll, we'll um, give it a mention again, but... Um but the the new book that we're referring to is Phillips' The Jack the Ripper Location Photographs Field Yard in the Whitby Collection, which um, you can get in, through Amazon. It will just take you three weeks to get it delivered. Um, <laughs> um, it's probably it's, it has something to do with the holidays. Um, now and and again, um, we'll talk about this later. Well, why well, why we'll talk about it now is that. Um, you should probably get a hold of this first edition because uh, I guess he anticipated the photographs to um, have um, to be in color, um, but through some printing error, they're all in black and white, and so there's probably going to be another edition where uh, where the photographs are in color. Do you have a copy of this book, Mike? I certainly do. What do you think? I, I really enjoyed it. Um, apart from having some uh, research in there from a certain. Hull-based ripperologist. Who's um, that then? Uh, you'll have to read the book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the the Whitby Green stuff. Um, it, you know, it was quite worried that he was going to be presenting the same stuff again um, that mm. was featured in uh, Jack the Ripper's London. Um, but it, it's basically the journey he takes you on uh, with the family. He gives all the the details of the family's background and their history. Um, you know what they were doing down in London at the time. Um, there's loads of new photos in there of the family um, and the locations mm. where where they grew up. And it just adds a little bit more um, to that book um, and just basically informs the reader um, of the family and you know what they were doing in London and why these pictures were taken. Um, and, you know, most of them are enlarged and they look a lot clearer than in the uh, London of Jack the Ripper. Um, and then again with the Duckfield Yard photograph, it's ba- it basically reads like uh, an investigation. Um, the amount of research that is put into it and all the other people um, that he consulted is just amazing in the way that the, they've dated the photograph based on the images in it. Um, you know, it's just fascinating. And it really is a 
when you're reading it, and it's one of those books that you just cannot put down. I mean, it's only a, it's quite a small book anyway, mm. um, but it's one of those that as soon as you've read it, you want to go back to the beginning and start again because it's just got so much information in, and it's just, it, it's just, it's one of those books that once you start reading it, you you find yourself, you know, reading the full book within an hour. Um, and wanting to go back over it. It was a really informative book and one of the the few books um, in the past year that's really grabbed my attention and kept hold of it right throughout. So, And I didn't... Re- I, I interviewed Philip on um, the podcast about the Whitby collection or, and, and um, the Duckfield Jard photograph. I mean, it's been brought up. I don't think I specifically talked to him about the Whitby collection, but he, we've mentioned it before. And I didn't realize until getting a copy of uh, the London of Jack the Ripper then and now, how many crime scenes uh, Whitby photographed, and, and even crime scenes of, of, of non-canonical victims. Um, well, what I found fascinating that, that he uh, correctly identified Francis Cole's murder site. Right. You know, and, and this was back in 1961 when he took photos. And, uh, and of course, as you remember, there was a debate on the board that lasted a long time, you know. Uh, you know, even uh, uh, even uh, Sugden gets the location of Francis Cole's wrong. He puts it in the Abel Yard buildings, uh, you know, it's, instead of Swallow Gardens. And of course, I think it was Rob Clack who finally definitively settled it. But uh, but yeah, Whitby even got that correct. And you know, I find that fascinating. Going going back to the the conference, but this links in with what we're talking about, um, Phillips talk and I've, I've been involved in this sort of Duckfields Yard thing from quite early on but hadn't been quite involved in all the all the background stuff that Philip was doing to authenticate it, date it and all the rest of it and to be honest with you a lot of what he said at the talk was new to me and I don't want to say it was a tour de force of research but it, it was just like staggering the amount of work he'd done on this, just on this one photograph just to say, you know, authenticate it, to date it, um, you know, costume experts, fashion experts, you know, architecture experts, all, all sorts of people. And, um, yeah, it, it was, you know, that, that talk was, out of a lot of good talks, was, was a pretty good one because it was, it was just so jam-packed with information. It was like someone had done, like, 30 years of research and it was all jammed into 45 minutes or something like that. It was... Um, and I think that's all in the book. You know, everything he's he said at the talk was in the book eventually. Um, but yeah, it was just fascinating to find out how he started to find out about where the woman had um, you know done the tour with Thomas Cook and all that, and you know going to Thomas Cook's records and all this sort of stuff. It, it was it was absolutely fascinating to hear the actual background that Phil had actually gone into to sort of find out the, the provenance of this photograph. Well, it was an interesting uh, bit of research, uh, you know, and I think one thing that Phil wanted to do is, you know, you know, make sure the the photograph was correct before he brought it forward to the public. I mean, we've we've had other photographs. Let's say um, the parlors bringing a, forward a photograph of what they thought was Miller's Court. Uh, mm. I remember several years ago, which clearly wasn't Miller's Court. No. Um, no. And and I think I think Phil didn't want that to happen. That. He didn't want like somebody to identify it as some other place, and then it's all wrong. And uh, he he wanted to make sure he got all his ducks in a row, and 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 he definitely did. Yeah, he kept it under his hat for quite a long time before he was sure what he had. Yeah. Well, it's it sounds like um, it was 
a pretty great conference, and um, and it was a conference that almost didn't happen. If I recall, they had a lot of problems, uh, mainly based uh, just because of the poor economy worldwide of even um, organizing a conference like this. So it was different. It was set up differently than past conferences, um, just in order to curb expenses. But it sounds like it was a great success in spite of the mm. difficulty in putting it together. And I really hope that they're able to continue these UK conferences. Um, we, you know, because I, I want to eventually be able to go to one. And I'd hate to see this London conference that I missed to be the last uh, Jack the Ripper mm. conference, you know, for a while and uh, at least. Did they give you any indication if the conferences are going to go on? I spoke yes. with Adam Wood. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, Adam Wood was quite pleased with this conference. He said it was the first conference where they've actually come out of it with a slight profit, which will go towards the next conference. So uh, I, I don't think there's any worries about there being a next uh, UK conference. Uh, I, I think the, the problem is, uh, is the American conference right now. Uh, that seems to be in, in limbo, and I don't know if there will be another one of those anytime soon. Well, one thing that um, I heard somebody say this, I didn't actually hear the person who said it say it themselves, but um, it was a an em- someone who's sort of been in the field for quite a long time said how what a good feel it was at that conference that you just you know what with all the shenanigans that have gone on in Ripperology in the field and you know the the the, the bad feeling that has often happened in the past and certain things it, they said that they felt that it was a step up suddenly you know that everyone was. All, all in there for the same reason, and and it was a really good positive feeling, and they said that it basically boded well for the future, uh, you know, of of people getting together and talking about the subject. And I can't remember who it was now, but um, and I heard this second hand, but uh, which sounds good. Paul Begg gave a talk, did he not? He spoke about leather apron, yeah. Okay, and and Paul it Begg. was nice. Yeah, and it was nice actually for me to uh, meet Paul Begg. He was one of the people I wanted to meet uh, um, going over there because, uh, you know, I, I felt that I've known Paul for like 20 years, you know, since um, the Uncensored Facts came out in around the centenary and, you know, his his other books uh, since then, not only the Jack the Ripper books, but his other ones. And, uh, of course, you know, I've spoke to him on the podcast, and but I've never actually met him, and, and it was it was fantastic actually, you know, sitting down with Paul and, and, and being able to speak with him, you know? Right. And, uh, and that goes what, back to what... I, that's one of the things that I really And that goes back to what really John miss. said, yeah. Yeah, and that, and that goes back to what John said, like getting a good feeling about the thing is that... Hmm. Anybody can talk to anybody at the conference, and that's what happens. You know, you you spend a few minutes talking to one person. You you know, you meet like Richard Jones in the bathroom, like I did. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you don't shake his hand until you actually leave. You know? But uh, it's not the right yeah, time, is it? <laughs> no, it's not the right time. But it's it's kind of fascinating, like like those little moments, you know. And uh, and the, and of course, we'd be remiss if we if we uh, didn't mention that. Uh, that Rob Clark received the Jeremy Beadle Outstanding Achievement oh, Award yes. Yes. Um, for for all his research uh, and a well deserved award. I mean, everybody there was pleased about it. Like everybody, yeah. his face was a picture. It I was. It was. Yeah. And, and and at the auction, uh, I should mention as well that uh, um, John Bennett, uh, his multi signed book of E One, uh, raised the most mm. money. We raised one hundred and fifty dollars. Mm. So. Mm. For charity, for the children with leukemia, and 
that was good. Yeah, it was signed signed by about forty or fifty people that are mentioned in it, or you know, have something to do with the institutions that were in it, and uh, we stuck it up. I thought, oh, stick it up for auction for the leukemia thing, and it had some quite big names in it, I have to say, and. Uh, it started off at about 20 quid, wasn't it? Was it 20 pounds? Yeah. And then Loretta Lay just said, shall I end this now and just say, <laughs> I'll give you 150 pounds for it. Yeah, you guys should have been there. The room sort of went silent. Like Everybody yeah. expected this like little protracted auction because it was the very first item, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, going up by increments. And then Loretta throws this number out there that just confounded everybody in. And, she, might and well and said, she might as well have said, I've got a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it, it, it just went silent. Nobody knew what to say. So uh, that was good. And but, yeah. but then the auction items after that went by normal procedure, and they raised a lot mm. of money as well. So, mm. Uh, mm. And, and that was good. What other types of things were auctioned off? Um, uh, another thing from John's book, uh, your book, John, uh, you had the prints. Uh, yeah, uh, that's right, yeah. You reproduced eight of the photographs. Yeah, there was seven seven photographs from the book, and one that I'd taken the week before. I think it was of the ten bells, and I had them printed off on art paper um, and signed them, described them, whatever whatever it was, and just said, right, auction these off. You know, for you know, if anyone wants nice nice nicely printed pictures of the East End, you know, auction them off. You know, I don't care how much it gets; it's just money towards the charity. And I think it was Robert Anderson. Bought yes, he uh, he bought yeah, he, the whole set for a hundred quid. He did, and he and he, I was yeah. the guy he outbid. So that's right. Yeah, I, I was there was quite a items. bidding going on for that one. Yeah, it wasn't. As yeah, there was a, there was a the bit of one. a bidding war on that, and but yeah. you know it's it's all for a good cause, and uh, yep. you know, and uh, that went well. And there were lots of good items in the raffle as well. Uh, yep, that's right. Yeah. So, so everybody sort of came away with something. Even if you didn't come away with the prize, you came away with a good feeling, and mm. you know it was a fantastic time. And it just it just sums up the whole thing. It was just a really good good feeling about the, the whole the whole two days. And like Robert said, you know, it could have personally it could have gone on for the whole blooming week for me. <laughs> you know, um, I would have been happy with that. You know, so it was good. My first one. So obviously I'm a bit green on that sort of situation, but it was lovely. Well, I'll have to settle for the DVD version um, of the UK conference then, which uh, they're selling. I guess it's still through the UK conference 2009's website. Um, Jeff Leahy carried around a big production camera and made a DVD that includes all the speeches and Philip's uh, Ripper tour as well, right? Yeah, that was another yeah. good thing for uh, Phil's Ripper tour because uh, what happened was that he was going to do a tour on the Sunday morning and the idea was that delegates would write down where they want to go and there were a few places that were out of bounds like Bucks Row and you know the places further east because of time and um, after people had written down where they want to go Phil devised a little sort of tour and the, the highlight of it I think for a lot of people, it was for me, certainly, but I think for a lot of other people as well, was walking into the archway of Swallow Gardens, which we did, you know, despite some sort of uh, security guard saying, hello, what are you doing here? And uh, we all went in there, and, you know, that was that was a first, because some people had been in there before, not many, I have to say. But suddenly, you know, you've got 35 people 
stomping into the archway and seeing the the tap where um, the money was hidden behind, you know, at the time of the Francis Cole murder. And I think that was one of the highlights for a lot of people. It's going to swallow garden. So it was that was a very successful morning, I have to say. And, what and for me, I... Yeah, and and for me, I I, I wanted to go to uh, the Cannon Street uh, mortuary. I wanted to go to the mortuary at Cannon Street, and, <laughs> and I was and I was quite pleased with that. That Phil included that on the tour. And um, you had a camera as well, though, John. You had a film camera as well. I I uh, was um, asked by Jeff to be second cameraman on the tour. So okay. unfortunately, after that fantastic opportunity to photograph certain locations that I hadn't photograph before i.e. swallow gardens i i had to carry around this large camera with an earpiece and all that sort of thing but um it was just yeah i mean i i, I was filming but i couldn't take pictures myself which is a shame but um i don't re- regret it it was uh it was a good thing i have to say but yeah i was doing second i was second cameraman and that sort of thing. <laughs> With, with, and Phillips, just so with, with Philip's microphone radioed into my ear, so even though oh, okay. he was like half a, mile, half a mile down the road, I could hear what he was saying to everybody. Uh-huh. Watch out, Phil, for information. <laughs> you gave a talk as well, didn't you, John? No, no. Or, I, did you show? Uh, or you, you showed your film? They showed the Ripperland film, and I wasn't expecting to talk about it at all. Um, and at the end, I was. I said, "Ah, right." Uh, Colin Cobb says, you know, do you want to ask John some questions? And I think it was Gareth Williams came up with a question, which was a prompt to do a Mickey take of someone or, or an impression of someone. And uh, but no, it was yeah, it was just it was just Ripperland, and they played the film, and it went down rather well. I'm glad to say, and that was my contribution. That was bad, apart from the auction, obviously. That was that. Was it, it. it went down well in uh, Knoxville as well when it was shown there uh, yeah, last yeah, year. That's right. It, yeah. So uh, have no worries. It, it goes down well uh, for for people who know the subject and who know the people yeah. associated with the subject. Yeah. Let's uh, move on from the conference and discuss some of the uh, nonfiction books that came out this year. Um, does anyone have a particular favorite out of the long list of books that came out? Uh, well, I already mentioned it. Well, we already mentioned Philip Hutchinson. Um, you know, I, I suppose I'd start with. Uh, other than that, uh, my favorite, uh, sort of two. I, I, like I think one one book that people should get because it's only limited to a hundred copies is uh, Robin O'Dell's Written in Red. Uh, it's a series of ten lectures that he's given over the years, and it covers 1976 until the present. And there's a nice little interview with him at the end, and uh, it, it's a great piece uh, for people you know who haven't seen Robin O'Dell speak or have seen him speak, but you know, people have uh, undoubtedly uh, written, uh, I mean, read some of his books, um, and it's a wonderful little piece to have. But uh, um, other than that... Uh, Are these uh, a compilation of, of talks he did at the uh, Cloak and Dagger Club and, and at Whitechapel Society, or what, what, what kind and fa- of... Yeah, and, and various other places as well. One, one he gave at yeah. the Crimes Club. The, the very first one uh, in 1976 is one that he gave at the Crimes Club. Um, and he even apologized in the book because he had a lecture in the 1966 that he no longer had his notes for that he wanted mm-hmm. to include. Uh, but but that was an interesting book. Uh, 
and, and as I said, yeah. it's limited. It's limited to a hundred copies. So you know, if people want it, get it now. I mean, other books you can wait a bit until you have the money, but this is one of those books that might disappear rather quickly and become hard to find soon. Which kind is why like, uh, the first Jack the Ripper victim photographs. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Robin O'Dell book, um, you know, it, it's really nice because what 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 happens is uh, you sort of plot a progression almost through it. It's almost like word for word lectures that he gave from '76 to to the one he gave that night when they were selling it at the Whitechapel Society, and he makes apologies in it for you know there might be things wrong in the early ones because of. Um, later research and things like that he's you know it's, it's a development through uh what one would call i suppose an eminent ripperologist if you get if you if you like um going through the years talking about various things you know various suspect theories come up and you know, at the time they were coming up and things like that. it's a very good read and robin odell is such a gentleman and that comes across in the lectures as well it's, it's a very very good read and uh, if anyone can get hold of it like Robert was saying you know get it it's a really really good book Mike Covell what, what's been in your opinion one of the uh, best river books that come out in this year um, I quite enjoyed Nicholas Connell and uh, Stuart P. Evans The Man Who Wanted Jack the Ripper the uh, newly revised um, issue that came out this year mm. Um I'd never got the original, uh, so it was all new to me. Um, but, but what a fantastic book! And you know, there's been quite a lot of debate over this book. But you know, the, the pictures alone, the, the facts surrounding Ed, Edmund Reed um, and what he got up to—it's it's just an amazing book, and you know, so interesting. And again, one of those books that once I started reading it, I just could not put it down. Um, it just presented so much new information to me. Um, you know, and I really enjoyed it. That's um, a, a book that has yet to be released in the United States. I think it's set to come out um, next month, if if, uh, if I'm correct on that. Um, so I haven't read it yet. Um, but the- I, ha- I have the original, which I've read, and um, I do have the, the revised edition, this this new edition, um, which which I haven't read. But I have read the original, and, and uh, I'm sure the new one has lots of new uh, photographs and uh, lots of new information. Um, that uh, that the first edition didn't have that I'm quite looking forward to. I have to say I've gone this book I've had backwards because the first one I got was the new one, and I went to see Stuart last week and he gave me the old one. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you know, so because uh, I couldn't find the old one before it was it was too, always too much money. It's quite a rare book, isn't it? I think is that right? Is it quite a book, the first yes, edition? It's it's, it's becoming harder to find now, yeah. Yeah, and I, I went to see Stuart last week. And he said, "Oh, have you got the first one?" I said, "No." And there you go, bonk, you know, threw it in my lap. So I'm yet to read the first version, but the second one, yes, was um, yeah, it was like like Mike says, it was it was pretty unputdownable. It was uh, very well written. That sort of stuff, I like it. Well, one of my favorites. Um Probably with no surprise, it was Tim Reardon's biography of Tumblety, Prince of Quacks. Has anyone uh, else read that book? Um, I, I just uh, the book actually just arrived on Friday. Um, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm I'm very well. I'm looking forward to it because I spoke with Tim in uh, Knoxville, 
and of course heard his talk on Tumble Tea, and of course he he corrects so many of the myths of Tumble Tea. But no matter what people think of Tumble Tea as a suspect, you can't deny that he is maybe the most fascinating uh, suspect in in all of Ripperology. How about you, Mike? Have you read this one? I've not. No, I've not read it. Um, it it's on Amazon, uh, and it's on my wish list, so I will get round to it. Um, but I've not read it yet. But I know Tim's research, and you know, it, it's one of those guys just leaves no stone unturned. So I'm looking forward to reading it. I, I hesitate to um, even categorize this as a Ripper book, although. Uh, Tim can be blamed for that because he does put Jack the Ripper suspect on the cover of the book. Um, but it's really one of the rare things, which is a suspect book that argues against the suspect being Jack the Ripper. And, um, and you know, it's some of the... Uh, the publicity for the book, you know, is more. Con- it, he, it, I feel like the publisher, whoever Tim, maybe himself, is trying to more focus it as well. This is an examination of what uh, of, of the history of quackery, you know, in the United States. It's more of um, uh, the the industry of of um, Indian herb doctors in the middle to and latter part of the 19th century in the U.S. Uh, and but reading it. It, it reads like a ripper book. I mean, I mean, like it almost reads like a, a really long dissertation. It's so detailed. Oh, I mean, it, it got me thinking. And I know Tim's probably not going to like to hear me say this, but who else would be interested in in an analysis of every single ad Tumblety placed in a newspaper um, throughout his entire life? Then, who would be interested in that? But ripper people, you know. Um, it gives I, you an idea of the sort of person he might have been, or you know, the, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's incredibly interesting, but but I kind of struggle to see where its interest will lie outside of the Ripperology community. Um, even though, like I said, I mean, he devotes a couple chapters to the suspect candidacy of of Francis Tumblety and. Um, really hits uh, the Stuart Evans, Paul Ganey book pretty hard. Um, I'm surprised there hasn't been more discussion of this book on the message boards, just simply based on the chapter about the Whitechapel murder, um, where, where um, he really goes after um, the book The Lodger. I mean, up to the, today, you're still seeing... Threads started on Casebook referencing Tumblety's collection of uteruses, and you know you're still you know was Tumblety the murderer of Carrie Brown, and on and on and on. It's like no one's read this thing. I mean, it, it's 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 really a, a one of the most uh, I think overlooked books of this past year, um, and I re- I recommend it to everybody. It's great, and of course he well, and I, discovered I the I'll- photograph of Tumblety too, which was no small feat. No, that was very important. And I think uh, it's just that I think the myths that he's corrected and tried to correct, like not not only through this book, but e- even through his uh, articles uh, in Ripperologist uh, magazine, um, it, it's just I think a lot of people it hasn't filtered down to, a lot of the writers on the message boards, um, that, on, that only, as, as you pointed out, Jonathan, only a few people uh, are, are aware of it or have read it. So you don't see that uh, on the message boards yet. 
I think it's going to be a while before those myths are corrected, if ever. I mean, my God, we still get McCormick myths pop up all the time. Uh, so um, I'm not too sure if, if he'll correct them all. I want to get Tim back on the podcast one of these days to talk about his book since um i mean we did a really lengthy podcast almost two hours with him once but um there's i find just by reading his book there's a there's a lot more left to discuss um about tumble tea um so i i thought that was one of the the um better books of the last year and and um uh, and then uh, we have uh, the second edition of Hutchison and Clack's London of Jack the Ripper, Then and Now. I never got the first edition, but I was able to get the second edition. And um, it, it's like um, Mike was describing um, Philip's newer uh, book on the, on the location photographs. Um, it's, it's one of the books that you just can't put down. I mean... You can you can read the London of Jack the Ripper then and now in a single sitting, you know, never get bored. And so I thought that was one of the better books of this past year as well. It it, it dissolves everything into a very sort of simple, basic. I'm sure Phil and Rob would say that's what it was supposed to be. You know, it's a part of the the whole thing about it was showing you images of the East End of Jack the Ripper then and now and but they also sort of complement that with what what on on the face of it is pretty straightforward no nonsense reportage if you like of the crimes and and the things that were going around at the time so you know it's it's a i've got both versions and there are differences in in both well the most important thing i think is that regarding the photographs uh whether you have the first edition or don't have the first edition, the photographs in the second edition are reproduced extremely well, uh, better than in the first edition. There was a problem with the first edition, uh, with the photographs, if, if you notice. And uh, so by the second edition, even, you know, even if you have the first one, um, just to see the reproduction of the photographs, plus the inclusion of a few uh, new ones as well. But, uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm with John in the fact that I like, I like the way that... If, goes through even early attacks and the sites, you know, of Annie Millwood, Ada Wilson, you know, right, right through to Catherine Millette and Francis Coles. So uh, it's, well, it's well, very straightforward. In the, in, in the first one, she was Rose Millet. And right, because most of us have known her as Rose. Rose I think yes. it's research, yeah, research. I don't know if it's done by Deborah Arif. Yeah, Debs, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, Debs. Catherine Millet. And they, yeah. they call her Catherine Millet in the new one. And what about um, Mill Ward? Um, uh, is that is that something that's new to the second edition? Uh, Rob Clack's research into um, Mill, Millwood, who uh, um, actually being um, named Mill Ward, or is that well, um, is that in the first edition as well? I remember not long ago a guy called Mark Ripper, um, who's a member of the Whitechapel Society, did some research on Annie Millwood, and I remember what. Bill and Rob were saying in their book about Annie Millwall Ward, or whatever you want to call it, and right. he did some other research and found somebody else called Annie Millwood, who was married to a soldier called Richard Millwood, and all that sort of stuff. Oh, uh, so it's back to being Annie uh, Millwood again? It's yeah. Don't quote me on this because I haven't got it in front of me at the moment. But um, that was right, one of the, the things f- that they did. The first edition is Millwood, yeah. and the second edition is Millward. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So their third, their third, their third edition will uh, change it back to Millwood. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? Quite possibly. Um, one one book I wanted to ask, I think Mike about, and uh, maybe even John or uh, Jonathan, but uh, you guys, because um, I haven't read it yet, and I haven't even ordered it yet. Um, but uh, Paul Woods and uh, Gavin Batterley's book, uh, Saucy Jack, uh, the Elusive <laughs> Ripper. Um, I have not read that one. Uh, no, I haven't read it. I haven't ordered it. And I just I wanted to ask because uh, I'm sure Mike's read it. Uh, yeah, well, I've basically got- with this one. As, as with any book, I always skip to the Stevenson section. Um, and with this particular one, they've made so many mistakes, it's unbelievable. Ivor Edwards has been had his name changed to Ivor Evans. Oh, really? Melvin Harris. <laughs> yep. Melvin Harris is, is now known as Melvin Harry. Um, it's Have they been watching Ripperland? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like something out of Ripperland. Yeah. It's a really good idea. Um, basically, it's just it's a book to cover the not only the murders but the theories and then the 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 culture around uh, at the murders and um, audio games, novels, films, musicals, um, you know, all the, all the different media over the years that's covered the murders are you know pretty much included in this book. Um, there's some fascinating illustrations of some of the early artwork. Um, up, up to sort of modern pictures, Screaming Lords, such um, comic books, you know, there's, there's so much packed in there. Um, but pretty, it looks like it hasn't been proofread, you know, and that was my only quibble with it, just some of the stuff that went into it. Um, you know, and basically what they've done is they've, they've based their theories on other people's work, so you don't get no new research into the suspects or anything like that. Um, it, it's just basically, you know, Ivor Evans said this, and Melvin mm. Harry said that. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's Stuart, just Stuart P. Ryder. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know, the, the spelling in it and the grammar was just atrocious. Um, mm. You know, and I, I'm quite lucky in the fact that I got that really, 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 really cheap. Um, but I was so upset when I read it; it was just shocking. Um, you know, there were so many errors, and to go over them all right now would need another show. You know, it was a really good idea, but badly executed. Now, speaking of badly executed books, Andrew Cook's book, Case Closed, um, I have not read. Um, Mike, have you read this one? I have, yeah. Uh, and what do you and what do you make of it? His cover uh, got a lot of controversy, and uh, no one seemed to discuss what was actually inside the book. So, Mike, uh, what what did you make of Andrew Cook's book, Case Closed? Well, I mean, basically by the time the book was released in the UK, the case closed, subtitle had been dropped, but the cover was still there. Um, <laughs> it, it did cause a lot of controversy. I remember going into one of my local bookstores, um, and they had it on display right right as you walk in the door, and I just sort of mentioned to the, the, the gentleman who owns the, the store, um, I got on quite well with him, and I just sort of said, have you looked at the cover and what it actually is? And he'd not taken any notice of it, but once I told him what it was and he realised what it was, they removed it from the front of the store and it, it's pushed away at the back of the, the store now with the rest of the true crime books. The problem I had with the book and the whole case closed scenario was that basically all Andrew Cook's done is presented a theory on someone that could have come up with the name Jack the Ripper. It's not, you know, he's not named any murderer. Um, and the same was with the documentary as, as well that, that followed the book. There was basically a documentary um, that tied in that came out the same time as the book. Um, 
neither of them presented us with a, a, a theory of who the murderer was. Um, no names were given except for the name of someone that could have come up with the name Jack the Ripper. Um, you know, it was really disappointing. And like you say, I, I've read Andrew Cook's Prince Eddie, um, and I quite enjoyed that book. Um, so coming from that onto this one, um, and trying to ignore all the, the the arguments that were going on at the time and all the, the, on the message boards, um, you know, I picked it up and just read it with a clear mind, and you know, I was really disappointed. Um, you know, it, it, when he wants to, he can do some really good research, uh, and with this, he just seems to have ignored um, all the basic facts of the case, um, whether or not people believe the Ripper letters are genuine or not, and it, it basically puts forward a name of someone that you know could have come up with the name, but still, it, it's not conclusive. The um, book is very different from the documentary. Do you think that, Mike? Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I think the the documentary was made in such a way as to be more sensational. Um, yeah. I can't remember the guy's name, but having the former editor of The Sun front your documentary... Kelvin uh, McKenzie. Gonna, yeah. That's the guy, yeah. He's going to make it sound like it, it's a sensational tabloid, you know, yeah. kind of documentary. And even the documentary at the beginning of it said, <laughs> by the end of the show, we're going to name Jack the Ripper. And they never did, you know. They no, named someone right. that could have come up with the name of Jack the Ripper. Um, yeah. But yeah, I felt quite let down by both the documentary uh, and the book. Yeah, I, th- I thought some of the information that came across in the book about the workings of the press at the time was quite interesting. But the the documentary, you know, an hour on, was it Channel 4 or Channel 5, I can't remember, was in the UK. I just look, looked at it and thought, this is probably one of the... This is, this is very damaging... You know, it was this is sort of the worst thing, one of the worst documentaries I've seen on Jack the Ripper, if you like. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I just thought it's totally sensational. They've got an ex-editor of a 1980s sensationalist tabloid newspaper going, I think we've really nailed Jack the Ripper today. Boom, and stamping on the table, and, you know, he's talking to Andrew Cook at a table, you know, all very, very pleasant and things like that. And... You know, you've got two seconds of Don Rumbelow, you've got three seconds of Stuart Evans, and one second of someone else, and the rest of it is just this sort of bang, bang, bang of sort of sensational, this is how you make news, you know. And there may be some sort of things that are right in it, but the way it just came across was just was just diabolical. And to be, personally, I just thought it was awful. And I watched it, and I taped it and watched it again, and just thought, you don't need this, you know. Um, the idea is good, and I think Andrew Cook's idea about, you know, how the press perhaps created the myth of Jack the Ripper is good, but it wasn't done very well, and uh, that documentary was was awful, to be honest with you, in my personal opinion. Any uh, more books that need to be mentioned? How, how about... Um Andrew Firth, he pu- he published a photograph book. Yes, he did. Yeah. did. Certainly did. Yeah. Let's mention um, Andrew Firth. Yeah. Mike, Mike, you have that one, don't you? No, I don't. That's one of one of the. I've got John Bennett's book, which has printed in two thousand and nine. So. Is this year? Is this year then? Yeah. It's it's the best smelling ripper book out this year. That's right, and it was written in nineteen ninety one. By the way, anyway, <laughs> uh, Andrew Firth's book is an absolute gem. And uh, if you're interested in the area made famous by Jack the Ripper, 
Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's brilliant. Um, I don't know how to describe it in words. You have to have it. And, it, and, and actually, at like £15 or whatever it is in, in, in dollars, you can get it from a, a specialist um, book publishers, internet book publishers. They print them specially whenever anybody wants them. It's called um, Blurb. Print on demand. Just, yeah, print yeah. on demand, basically. It's, um, it's just brilliant. I was showing this to someone about a month ago. I said, have you seen this book? And they went, and this is a rip, fellow ripperologist type person. And I just went, this is amazing. Who is this bloke? You know. Yeah, because his pic- yeah, I see his pictures, and for others who are listening right now, I mean, you mm. can see his pictures at on Casebook uh, on the East End mm. Photographs thread where mm. where I've seen them. But yeah, I keep I keep forgetting to uh, order this book, um, probably because it just doesn't slip into the consciousness uh, no, that often. It, but no, it's, it's it's great. I mean, it's it's a long form sort of not it's a landscape book, and um, I mean the layout is unbelievable. I can't describe it. I have to say, I can't, I can't describe it. You have to see it. And I think Andrew has put... I've met Andrew a couple of times. He's been around the East End a few times, taking photographs and getting up to mischief in the East End at night in various pubs. But, um, but um, you know, there's a... The layout of the book is, is, is brilliant. You know, if you, I can't describe it. You, you have to get it. It's um, for someone who's interested in the area and photography and depictions of the area... And what he does also is um, does overlays. So you might have some street maps overlaid on the floor, or you might have Hanbury Street with the modern buildings on one side and the old buildings on the other side. But the way he does it, you have to blink, basically, to think, hang on. Oh, right, he's done that himself, because it, 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 it's, it's seamless. You know, everything is seamless. It, it, I can't really describe it to anyone who's not seen it. There's nobody here seen it. Uh, no, I've just seen his work, like, on the threads. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He's put and he has a website, uh, the publisher's website has a little right, um, yeah. uh, flash uh, player deal <laughs> where you can flip through certain pages of it. Get, if you can get it, get it. I have to say, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a little piece of art, actually. I have to say. Uh, what about uh, Jack the Ripper Unmasked? By William Beatles. Yeah, it's 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 just an update of his um, 1995 book on uh, William Berry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, essentially, uh, you know, it contains a bit more information, but it's it's still fragmented and it's still difficult, you know, to pin it on on Berry. I mean, you, you know, Beatles' approach hasn't changed much since 1995. I, I mean, we have some more information on on Berry and the crimes, but. Um, you know, his approach to the subject is, okay, I've got Barry, now let's find some evidence that fits Barry, you know. and um, So so as as a suspect book, it, it doesn't really work that well. If, if you're interested in Barry, I say buy it. Um, other than that, there's no real reason to buy it. This is um, a, a new edition of The Trial of Jack the Ripper? Well, he wrote uh, Jack the Ripper Anatomy of a Myth uh, back mm-hmm. in uh, who, 1995. Who, who did um, The Trial of Jack the Ripper? Ewan McPherson. Oh, okay. That's another better book. That, that's a better book. That's the one I've read. Yeah, and if you're a very completist, you, you might want to get Beatles' book, but other than that, you don't need it. Yeah, I think I think Bill Beadle's first one was more of a overview of the mythology of the Ripper, and then he hits you with Barry yeah. as a suspect, I think. But this one, the new one, is more, you know, this is, this is Jack the Ripper. 
know, yeah, and then very, here are some of the facts that yeah, right, right. Now, did um, did you attend the Whitechapel Society meeting, John, when uh, William Beadle gave his presentation? Yes, I did. Yes, I was there. Yeah. And he also did he not um, speak at the Docklands exhibit last year? Um, no, he didn't. Not on Berry or anything else. He he spoke on the Whitechapel Society. Oh, okay. He did. Yeah, he just sort of talked about the what the society was doing. I think at the time, unless of course he spoke about something when I wasn't at one of the talks. So, oh, so the uh, talk he gave at the Whitechapel Society wasn't about Berry. The Whitechapel Society one was. Yeah, it was about William. And how how did that go over? You had mentioned um, Trowell's speech at the conference. <laughs> yeah. Um, how um, and you you uh, mentioned you know the the politeness of the audience. Um, yeah. How does that compare to uh, like if uh, William Beadle gives a speech at the Whitechapel Society, or I know Trevor Marriott, I think, also gave a speech at the Whitechapel Society. Um, how do um, suspect uh, uh, focused authors? Um, what, what's the difference in how they're received, you know, by by ripperologists crowds? Well, that's a good question because I've only been going to the Whitechapel Society for about three years, and you know, obviously there's people you know been there from day one. Um, William Beadle's one, you know, you have questions at the end, and people are quite sort of pleasant about the way they answer the question. I know in the past, you know, we're talking over 10 years ago when there were questions asked, when things got quite fraught, you know, um, like Maybrick stuff or whatever it was when, when things were really sort of heavy. But uh, we've had a few, you know, there was one recently in the Whitechapel Society, uh, I think it was in the middle of in the summer, uh, a guy talking about Freemasons. And to be honest with you, a lot of people sort of went Oh, God, you know, Freemasons. But the way he put it across, okay, he said there's no way Jack the Ripper could have been a Freemason, and he dispelled lots of myths about Freemasons. He was a great bloke, uh, Yashar, his name was. Um, and people are generally more polite at these things, but with, with suspect things, you're always you're fearing the worst. And you always think, you know, you know what the field is like. But often they, they filled the questions quite well. And uh, certainly with the Trevor Marriott one, uh, which was I think was held at the museum in Docklands, when he showed a rather grisly post-mortem about how to remove a uterus, which uh, made the camera girl sick. Uh, it was people asked him quite probing questions about his theory, and he was very good about it. And I know he's had a lot of trouble on the message boards and things like that, but. Um, when you were there at the time and he gave his reasons behind what he thought, it sounded all very reasonable and he was very good about everything. So there's always this sort of give and take. You know, I think they're ready for it and same as my trail was at the conference. That's that's all I can say about it, really. It's, it's, it's a tricky thing to think about, but, you know, I've not seen anything really horrible. Now, Trowell was uh, the subject of a documentary that we mentioned earlier. Um, he... he uh, names his suspect as Robert Mann. Um, can, uh, who wants to go into who Robert Mann was and the merits of the, uh, the documentary that was put out by the Discovery Channel? I was in it, but... Oh, John was in it? I haven't seen yeah. it. Get somebody else to speak for a moment. <laughs> um, yeah, I can, I can just speak a little bit about who Robert Mann is, who Trout's suspect is. 
Uh, uh, man was a, was an inmate at the Whitechapel workhouse, and uh, in the old Montague Street. And as such, he was there when uh, Martha Tabern was by, brought there, uh, Polly Nichols and Annie Chapman. Um, he was called uh, to the inquest uh, of Polly Nichols and also of Annie Chapman. He was called to both mm. of them. Um, in, in the first one, uh, you'll remember that he undressed the body uh, when he really had no official business doing so. The police didn't give him permission to do so. And uh, I, I guess you could say Coroner Baxter sort of gave him a dressing down for, you know, undressing Polly Nichols. And, uh, uh, you, you know, he was sketchy on all of his details. And and, and then and he didn't even handle uh, the Chapman body. Uh, they, they let two uh, nurses uh, handle the body instead of that. Uh, in, in 1888, he was, uh, he was in his early 50s. I, I believe he was born in 1835. And uh, he he died in 1896, uh, so so he was rather old then, and and uh, I I'm not quite sure. Like a lot of people have said that he could have got um, out uh, because of his responsibilities that he could let himself out, but I, I'm not uh, sure. Uh, you know, as I, as I don't really understand the poor law that well, uh, but from what I understand, that he would not have have been allowed out um, at night. But you you know you can just go to the message boards and 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 read more about man uh, and, and the discussion regarding Trout's book. But but now, that's did, just a little. Does he also um, tie in the Thames Torso murders? <clears throat> no. Oh, he doesn't. Oh, I thought that's what you guys were talking about earlier. No, uh, but but he does tie in uh, uh, Martha Tabram and which which um, yeah Alice McKenzie uh, as well. Alice McKenzie as well. Yeah. Hmm. There's also been a uh, ITV three-part miniseries, I believe it was, Whitechapel, earlier this year. Um, I, I saw that one, and I'm sure you guys did too. Um, it, it's kind of an all-right little uh, television show, in my opinion. It wasn't great, um, but um, I know it got a, a lot of uh, press attention, a lot of visitors to the message boards because of it after it airs. It was kind of like a hit in the UK, as far as I know. Uh, what are your guys' opinions on that one? Was this the one that had, um, I think if you're talking about Whitechapel, you called it. Right. Yep. This was on over here over a year ago, I think now, wasn't it? Oh, is it two thousand? Very early, very early this year, or late last year. I'll get you Might the be wrong. Sorry, mate. It was this year. Just let me get the date. It was this year, early this yeah, year. So, uh, with so Steve Pemberton as the tour guide with his books yep. and living. Ah, right. Yeah. Right, right. Second of second of yeah. February. Second of February, right, two thousand and nine, yeah. with uh, Rupert Penridge Jones, Phil Davis, and Steve Pemberton. That'll be the one. <laughs> yeah, we, I discussed this on a podcast. I, I, I think you might have been on that one, John, weren't you? I think uh, I was. Yes, with, with uh, Philip. Tour guides and. Um, Richard Jones, wasn't it? Right, right. Yeah. Robert, did you did you watch this uh, Whitechapel TV show? Um, I did see it. Uh, one of the things I appreciated actually about it was the little changing of names. Uh, <laughs> they took historical names from the case and mm. you, you know gave it to uh, some of the characters, which I found um, kind of kind of uh, a good little in joke for you know people like me. 
and and I always secretly hoped that uh, the Ripperologist on on Whitechapel was was based on Philip Hutchinson. Sorry, Phil, I really, I'm kind of secretly hoping that. I doubt it. You know, I I, I know it's probably not true, but but no, he doesn't. Uh, he, he doesn't uh, paint Ripperologists in a good light. I think ultimately, I mean, right? None, none no, of us, listen, none, none I, of I us are really like that. Yeah, they think they're men that live in basements with their mum and dad and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I, I enjoyed it. I thought, I think I said this on the old podcast, you had the current situation going on with the murders and whatever, but it kept the facts and the fiction separate. And I, I felt that what they were saying about the past, you know, you know, the Whitechapel murders, they're doing their research and all this sort of stuff, um, the tour guide notwithstanding, um, was quite refreshing it was, you know, they didn't sort of make it out as being a definitive thing or whatever. I, I, I have to say, I enjoyed that. I mean, I don't know what anyone else thinks, but it was. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. And yeah. like, like another great plot device I thought was the uh, every time that someone saw the killer, he had mm. a different disguise. Um, he had a leather mm. apron, and right. then he had his deer stalker. Then he looked a bit like George yeah. Chapman, you know, and it was going through all these different yeah. disguises. There were a lot of in there were a lot of in jokes in it, wasn't there? You know, for, for people yeah, that know yeah. the case, you know, like, like like Robert was saying, all the different names that come up. You know, Francis Coles was one of the victims, or the police officer that was murdered, or whatever it was. You know, things like Old oh, Flower and Dean Street, the last murder. You know, things like that. So, yeah, you'd be pleased to hear that uh, RTV have commissioned series two um, to be out in two thousand and ten. Um, details are a bit sketchy at the moment, but it, it, mm. apparently it's going to be based still in Whitechapel, but this time mm. possibly on the crime involving the Cray Twins. Um, <laughs> so it's going to come away from sort of Jack the Ripper and, and concentrate on another area of crime. Oh, really? Wasn't there a movie? What was that movie um, with? Uh, there was a movie. It was a re- with, the, about was the, the Lodger. Yeah, yeah, the remake of the Lodger. Was, was, yeah. was that? Was that this year? Just let me search for it. 2009, yeah. I've oh not seen God. it. I have. Not- I have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have not. Uh, okay. I have to apologise. I have to apologise and say I quite enjoyed it. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, I just took it for what it was. And I could see it was... I could see things about the Lodger and, you know, a remake of that sort of Lodger thing. And it was a bit like Whitechapel, you know. It was that right. modern serial killer. I just, I'm, I think I'm, I'm getting old in the tooth to get too sort of stressed out about Ripper interpretations. I just thought, yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that, you know. It right. Doesn't doesn't threaten me, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, it was fine, you know. My, my main objection um, to it was the use of the photographs of Annie Chapman's daughters um, mm. at the end um, when the final victim is killed. They did this. They do this little photo montage, and and one of the uh, photos they use is of one of Annie Chapman's daughters. Um, yeah, the actual uh, photographs, was it? Yes, uh, that, that Neil Sheldon um, right. argues against exploiting on a yeah. pretty continuous basis. I thought the the uh, TV show Whitechapel was much better than the movie The Lodger, but yeah, that's just me. Uh, Mike, you, you saw that film, The Lodger? No. <laughs> oh, okay. It was Robert no. that did, right? Yeah. No, I've not. No, I have not seen it. Either of you have. Oh, okay. Nah. Well, don't 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 waste your money. 
My father found it in a car boot sale for two pounds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's two, two pounds not well spent. Who knows? Any other documentaries that you guys recall that we have failed to mention? No, there was... I don't know if this is worth putting on, but I don't know how many people have seen it. There was one... I can't remember what it was called. I can't remember what channel it was on. Somebody put links up to it. I don't know if it was Mike or just somebody else put links up to it on Facebook. It was a four-part thing on YouTube, and it had been on the History Channel. And I can't remember the title of the film. Was this the Tumblety one? The Tumblety and Mary Piercy. And Stuart Evans was in it quite a lot. And he, and he went around London with, with the people in the thing. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it was like, you know, we've got, we've got Francis Tumblety. This is what we know about him and all this sort of stuff. And there's Mary Piercy, you know, could it be a woman and that sort of thing. And I've only seen it once and, you know, I can't really comment on it. But that was one that I'm thinking of recently because you've had the Kelvin McKenzie one, the My Trowel one that I was involved in. And there's been another one which I can't on um, James Kelly that may, may have just aired in the United States. I'm not sure. Right, which I which I haven't seen, but I've had people say, "Oh, what's this James Kelly bloke?" You know. Right. And there's this there's this other one that's got Stuart in it for quite for quite a long time. And this is the one in which a graphologist claims that Tumble T wrote the From Hell letter. Yes, there are graphologists in it doing that. So if you know if, if you're going to have a letter written by a serial killer who does this sort of thing, this is the sort of writing that he would write his letters with. Um, I'd need to see it again to sort of comment more on it, but um, that was one that... Brings what, what, um, do you remember um, what sample of Tumble T's handwriting they used to compare to the From Hell letter? I've not uh, seen this documentary. I think what I saw didn't convince me, I have to say. And I said, you know, they've got certain ways of writing crossbars on T's or whatever it is, you know, things like that. And it just, it didn't match up for me, at least, you know. Um, Tumble T's an interesting person, but as a suspect, it's it's a bit odd. But, um, yeah, they, they analysed the letters and all that, and they talked about his quacky doctory. And, but they also talked about Mary Piercy as well, about, you know, being the... And they went to the house that she, you know... That she lived in, in uh, in Islington somewhere or King's Cross, around that way. So um, and and discuss the possibility of her being Jill the Ripper. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you know, could the murderer have been a woman? And if it was a woman, could it have been someone like this? You know, neither. I think the documentary in neither cases did it say these are definitive people being Jack the Ripper. It was just like weighing up two possibilities. You know. It was. It was reasonably between Tumble T and Mary Percy. That the, those were their two. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> a, a strange combination, I have to say. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there was a request that we talk about Legrand and some of the discoveries um, that were that were made um, over the last year. So maybe we'll hit on that. Talk about Legrand, Mike. This this is the thing. This is the problem. I don't know the first thing about Charles Legrand. I just found this newspaper report and said, you know, this is quite interesting. Um, and I posted it on JTR forums and Ripper Casebook. And Deborah Arif basically took over from there. Um, so I didn't even know. Basically, all I found was a news report saying the London authorities thought that they had Jack the Ripper locked up. Um, and it was only when Deborah Arif came forward and said this could be. 
Charles Legrand, uh, and then Tom Westcott got hold of it. Um, you know, and I don't know the, th- the first thing about Charles Legrand. I just go through the newspaper reports and and see if I can find anything interesting. Well, that was my one of my questions. What what um, what in the newspaper report um, seemed to point at Legrand? Basically, the report said something along the lines that we have him. Um, uh, and basically the the authorities in London um, the police basically said that they thought they had under lock and key um, Jack the Ripper um, now the, I, the, the, the thing that basically made everyone sit up and take notice was the fact that the report says that this particular person that they've got um, it, it was being tried at Lambeth Police Court um and that it was under lock and key at Portland Prison, um, undergoing sentence of 20 years penal servitude, and apparently that linked into what is known about um, Charles Legrand. Um, Howard came forward and he at first said, you know, I'm wondering if it's Charles Legrand, it sounds familiar, um, as a Belgium. Uh, but then Debs basically came forward and said, you know, it's, it sounds like Charles Legrand to me. Um and then it got passed around the community and, and grew from there, really. Um, the only reason I posted it was because I thought that it made quite interesting reading to see that the police authorities thought that they had, you know, under lock and key Jack the Ripper, or the person that was purporting to be Jack the Ripper. Now, Robert, um, you're, you're good at this. Um, why don't you explain to our listeners who Charles Legrand was? Yeah, just a quick, uh, for those who, just a quick refresher on Legrand. Um, uh Legrand, uh, I don't know if he worked for Bachelor or he was hired by Bachelor, but he was a private detective um, who was hired after after the Stride murder, and he found the grape stock in uh, Batfield's yard in the drain pipe that people have talked about, and of course theories have been built around. And he also interviewed Matthew Packer, so um, yeah, that's that's who Legrand is. And he was the one who brought Matthew Packer to view the body of Liz Stride. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, he whisked them off um, to uh, Sir Charles Warren, you know, uh, to be interviewed at Scotland Yard. So um, other, than, other than that, like, you, you know, for, you know, any any minute details, uh, you know, I just suggest people, like, go look it up on Casebook or something. Right. Uh, um, he... he um kind of inserts himself in this case um, here and there and um, has been a pet suspect of a few ripperologists for quite a number of years. But it's Mike's article that y- you had discovered without even making the connection with Legrand. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the fact that the mention that they had Jack the Ripper under lock and key was what got me interested. Um, but it was also the, the first sort of section of the, of the article was about Frederick Bailey Demon, um, which is one of these suspects that has links with Hull. So I was quite interested in that. And it was only when I read on a little bit further and it, the, 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 it said the authorities believe they've got the, the author of the Whitechapel tragedies uh, now under lock and key at Portland Prison undergoing a sentence of 20 years penal servitude and he's a Belgian um, and he was tried and sentenced some six months ago for uh, attempting to obtain money from ladies by threats of violence and apparently all this information tied in with what is known uh, about Charles Legrand. Um, so you know for me it was just the link with Demon and the fact that these guys have said they've got Jack the Ripper and I thought that was quite interesting and it 
it's an article that I've had maybe two or three years now, and it's just been sitting in the files, and I just found it because I was looking for other stuff. Um, and I thought, I'll share it with everyone. Um, you know, and I'm glad I did, because it's helped other people in their research. Well, does this article um, mean that... Does, does the newspaper article mean that Charles Legrand was is a contemporary police suspect? In your I mean, I mean yeah, opinion? I mean... The, the, yeah, the, Basically, all the people that have looked at it have said that this is this is interesting because the report's from 1892, and it's basically saying that Charles Legrand was suspected of being a suspect much earlier than previously thought. Um, you know, so like I don't really know a lot about Charles Legrand, and it's one of those people that now I will be looking at a little bit deeper. Um, but for people like Tom Westcott and Deborah Arif, it, it's kind of they're looking upon it as you know this guy could have been a suspect a lot earlier than we thought um whether he had something to do with the, the Whitechapel tragedies is another matter altogether and what what are your opinions of this uh robert or john i mean do we do we take newspaper accounts um at face value and and um claiming someone is a contemporary police suspect or do we have to f- find something in the official files that that corroborate it or you know Otherwise, we're just stuck with the McNaughton Three, pretty much, and Tumble Tea. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, with the with the press report, at least you have a starting point uh, because there's information in that press report that then you can uh, go dig a little bit further. Uh, you can dig through census reports uh, and, and stuff like that, and you can find out more information. So uh, they're actually a very good jumping-off point. You know, they can't be used in isolation, mind you, but. But it, but it's 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 very uh, it's very interesting news. Well, one of the things that has been tried by other researchers, not myself, people have been in touch with Portland Prison, and and they said that they all the reports that they had from the time um, of this incident were were not held there anymore. Um, I believe they were sent to the National Archives or something like that. So then people made contact with the National Archives, and they've actually said that. Um, the reports for 1892 have gone missing um, so initially people thought well that's a bit strange but apparently it's quite common um, and it wasn't just Portland Prison there were a number of other other prisons in the UK where records have disappeared that cover 1892 for some strange reason um, so you know people are still looking for corroborating evidence, I mean like you say it's on its own, it, it doesn't really say anything, but it gives us a starting point for, for further research. Um, and that's what people are doing now. They're looking at, you know, what's mentioned in the report um, regarding Portland Prison and, and uh, taking it from there, really. What about uh, Ripper Fiction books? I've read a couple of Ripper Fiction books. I must admit that it's not uh, my my favorite thing to do, to read Ripper fiction, but but there's been a few uh, fiction books based on the case of Jack the Ripper released this year. Mike, would you like to comment on some of those? Yeah, I mean, the first one is uh, Brian L. Porter's sequel, Study in Red, that came out earlier this year, um, Legacy of the Ripper. Basically, carries on from where the the last book uh, finished and it's about a gentleman called Jack Reed uh, and he's in a psychiatric hospital um, and and basically it's kind of like another copycat Um, Jack's trying to find out who committed the crimes there's a guy called Detective uh, Inspector Holland and Sergeant White and they're they're out to try and find out um, who's responsible Um, it's a twisted tale of, of who done it that keeps you guessing to the end um, and I mean you know Brian L. Porter's work at the minute is just 
the, the amount of work is is pouring out into not just like the the ripper fiction, um, but across the board, it's just amazing. How we, how we got time to fit this one in this year is beyond me. Um, but it's it's definitely one of my favourite fictional works this year um, that I've read. And his uh, first book, A Setting in Red, was uh, bought by a film company. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. The film company in the States has bought the rights to uh, make a production. Um, not a lot's known about who they are or, or, or anything. The good thing about Brian is that he just posts everything um, on both Facebook and JTR forums. He just posts all his... Uh, who's been speaking to him, what works he's got lined up and so on. Um, so all the information he puts out there himself. And he did mention uh, that the uh, company in America has bought the rights to film um, a study in red. And they've also made the, the audio book as well um, to a study in red. So it really is becoming quite a popular um, series of books. And what about John Gaspard's The Ripperologist? Has anyone else read that one? I've read it. And what did you think? Well, basically, uh, the premise behind the book is to take a seasoned ripperologist uh, and a detective and have them to uh, try and solve some copycat, copycat crimes uh, in America. Um, I quite enjoyed the book. Uh, I, got, I got quite an early print um, of the book. And then, you know, I quite enjoyed it, but it's had mixed reviews from... Ripperologists that have read it, some have said that it's quite sort of um, uh, the way it's written, it almost taking the Mickey um, out of Ripperologists. Um, but I quite enjoyed the idea of taking this really, really old story and putting it in a modern surrounding, um, uh, you know, and having these two try and work together, um, you know, to try and solve these crimes. Um, it, it's it's there's bits in it that are quite funny. Um, there's bits in it that basically you've got to be a ripperologist to, to understand. Um, uh, but it's great. I mean, this it features stuff from publishing and discusses internet chat rooms and conventions and you know uh, all different aspects of the case um, get a mention in the book. Um, you know, I, I quite enjoyed the, the the premise of the book, the idea of taking these two and throwing them together to have to have them solve this crime. Um, you know, I thought that was quite good. Um, but in terms of the information regarding the the actual case, it, it's it's quite scarce. Um, it, it's more of a, a modern take on Jack the Ripper. Um, it, there's not a lot of information in there that goes back into the past and examines it or anything like that. Right. And then um, Rob Thompson's From Hell: The Final Days of Jack the Ripper. Have you read that one? I've not read it, but I know it's about mm. tum- tumble tea. <laughs> Oh, yes? It's a fiction book based on Tumble Tea? Yeah. Sounds like one for you to read, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, Rob, Rob's on Facebook, uh, and when he released the book earlier this year, he launched a Facebook group for the book um, and mentioned that it was all to do with Tumble Tea. Um, and we've exchanged a couple of messages via Facebook. Um, and considering it's a fictional book is try to get in there as many facts as possible um, pertaining to Tumble Tea um, and it's quite well read uh, on Tumble Tea but I've yet to see a copy um, I know Paul Begg was also after a copy and Paul Begg was hassling me to try and get a copy for him uh, off Rob Thompson um, 
but I, I think it's available on Amazon at the moment. What have you guys got lined up for 2010? Is anyone working on anything that, that we can expect to see next year? Um, I'm, I've been working on an update for a while of uh, my book, and a lot of people have wanted a second edition of it. Uh, I can't promise it'll be out next year, but uh, that's what I'm working on. Uh, will it be a revised edition? Uh, yeah, it'll be completely revised. Awesome. Can't wait. And Mike, what are you working on? Uh, Jack the Ripper from Elf from Hull should be out next year. All right, great. And and John, your, yours is top secret. Is that right? Um, <laughs> no, I've got... Um, I've been E2's coming to... out. Yes, I've been commissioned to do E2, a journey through Bethnal Green and Shoreditch. But that's not till 2011. I'm ah. going to publish the schedule. I'm working on a couple of things that I can't really talk about at the moment as well. Like, as Jonathan says, top secret. Now It's just, it's just what happens, you know. I, I'm sure we've skipped over uh, quite a bit um, of, of notable achievements in 2009. I know Deborah Arif has been mentioned um, in her work. Rob Clack received the award at the Jack the Ripper conference in the UK for his research. Um, if there's anything that you guys think um, we've overlooked or that needs special mention, please do it now. Uh, it's hard to think of. Um, you know, honestly, I just tell people, you know, you know, go to the boards and follow follow the chats, and, and, and you know, do buy the Ripper magazines. I know we really haven't covered them, I've, but really, there's there's so much material in them. Like you get. Uh, 12 issues of Ripperologist a year. You've uh, got the Whitechapel Society, the Journal of the Whitechapel Society, which is a quarterly publication. Or uh, So, you know, do buy them. Uh, there's lots of new information and research in those books. Yeah, Ripper- Ripperologist always comes up with um, new stuff on a regular, very regular basis, I have to say. Yes. All right, well, maybe we'll do a... Uh a year in review show 2010 and be able to discuss um, Robert McLaughlin's revised edition of the first Jack the Ripper victim photographs and Mike Covell's new book yeah. that, that, and E2 amongst other things from John oh. Bennett yeah we'll see alright thanks everybody for being on the show today thank you very much you're welcome and that was Rippercast episode 48 the 2009 year in review I want to thank John Bennett, Mike Covell, and Robert McLaughlin for being on the show today. We are a podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders available at the website www.casebook.org or in the iTunes Music Store's History, Society, and Culture podcast section or key search word RipperCast. If you have any comments or questions for myself or anyone that appears on the show, feel free to email us at rippercast at gmail.com. I want to wish everyone a safe... Happy, healthy, and prosperous 2010, and we'll see you next time.